This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and soon to be joined by Walker Jenkins, a top five Overall pick from this year's draft, who is now the number 16 ranked prospect in all of baseball, Minnesota Twins first rounder. Uh, He's going to join us on the show a little bit later. We first are going to talk about what else? More major league call-ups. This has become kind of a a recurring segment on on the show where we discuss the most recent top 100 prospect that's been promoted to the big leagues. And there's been such a, a flurry of them recently that it led us to wonder is this unusual the the number of top 100 prospects we've seen in the big leagues this year and it turns out it is perhaps unprecedented at least going back as far as we have data as as long as we've been putting out a top 50 or top 100 prospects list we've never seen uh, as many top 100 prospects from a preseason top 100 or top 50 list reach the big leagues in any season uh, than we have this year. So uh, the the most recent three since last we spoke uh, a week ago, there were three more, of course, because it's been seven days. So uh, three more call-ups, Jordan Lawler, Evan Carter, and PCA. And so we're going to, we're going to get into uh, each of those guys a little bit. Everybody knows that's Pete Crow Armstrong, right? Then we'll talk to Walker Jenkins. Then we're going to talk about a new addition to the top 100 prospects list. And we want to tell you about uh, something new and exciting. Year-end minor league baseball award show, uh, first ever on MLB Network. That's going to be on October 2nd. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about that. All right. So, Jim, when you, you, you were on a two-week vacation and I think we estimated that you missed approximately uh, 1,343 uh, what-to-expect stories, which we write uh, anytime a top 100 prospect is called up. Uh, we like to have you, Jonathan, and Sam uh, tell the people what they can expect from these prospects. And you had uh, seemingly dozens of, of your prospects from your teams called up while you were gone. And uh, it's continued here now that you're back. Had you forgotten how to uh, how to do a, a, a what to expect? No, and I think I've set a personal record because I think I've written twelve or thirteen now, and that was with missing. I know I missed Rafaela and Dominguez while I was gone. I'm not sure if I missed anybody else, and I know Gavin Williams got promoted in the middle of the draft combine, and it wasn't physically possible to do. There was another Yankees promotion. Everson Pereira. Did you miss that one too? That is who it was. Yep. Yes, because I think it was very close together. So, yeah, so that would have put me up around, I think, 16 guys this year, which is crazy. I think last year I only wrote like five or six. But, yeah, so it's uh, I, I had not And that, that couldn't put you too far ahead of Jonathan or Sam because there have been 
37 of the top 100 prospects from our preseason list that have made their major league debuts just this season. So if, if you're, if you're at 16, uh, that leaves 21 between the two of them. That's pretty far ahead. That feels like it's about six. Yeah, yeah, I guess it depends on the division. They've had to pick up some of my slack, but uh, I think 60% more seems pretty significant to me. It makes up for last year because last year, by the way, there were 38 players from the top 100 who made their debut. And you said you only did like five or six. So, you know, I think I wrote like five or six. It's evening out. So, uh, the most recent ones, uh, let's go chronologically here. First one was Jordan Lawler. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And that was Sam's guy. I, I didn't have to write that one up. Did you guys see that? Coming was that a surprise when you heard that news? I I felt like I hadn't really heard much about it. Well, I'm pretty sure that when we when when Jim was off and we had Sam on, you, it was predicted. Well, we, no, we remember we it put wasn't. guys in we put guys yeah. in the buckets, and he was in the probably not bucket or whatever the lo- the lowest level was. Like I, I and we don't yeah. we didn't think he was going to come up just because. You know, where was he going to play every day? And you know, would they want to bring him up that quickly? He hadn't been you know, at the highest level in the minors for that long. So I would say that I was a little bit surprised that, uh, that the Diamondbacks called him up. How about you, Jim? I, I was too. I wasn't part of that, that fine podcast while I was on vacation. But uh, no, I, I was too. Like He'd gotten off to a slow start and then really picked it up. I mean, I think he's played about half the time. Uh, I was actually at the Cubs Diamondbacks game on Sunday, and he did not play in that one. Did you go say um, hi to him? But no, I I, I, I did not go say hi to him. I was I was there in a fan capacity, so I did not walk on the field and talk to him. He's um, going to be in the office but, tomorrow. I'll I'll tell him you said hi. You you can that I that I wish that I had the opportunity Sunday. I, I could have maybe tried to run the base. They had, they ran the bases after Same. the game. I could have tried to do that and and, and run into their clubhouse. I think he would have beat me pretty. I, I would have been at like first base. I would. I would hope so for his and the Diamondbacks' sake. <laughs> yeah, if if I'm anywhere close to beating Jordan Lawler or even competing in a race with him, that that's a problem. Like, Downgrade, adjust, adjust the grade. Is sixty. I don't know. Total. I think Sonny Deshara could outrun me. Um, so I, nobody, no professional baseball player should lose to me in a race. But um, nobody even laughed at my Sonny Deshara joke. It's mean of you. But uh, but no, I, I you know it, it's interesting too because you know you know he's one for thirteen with seven strikeouts. But I think the, the common thread of the last three promotions we've had, which were not immediate when the rosters expanded September, it's all teams trying to make the playoffs. And I, I think Lawler, even if he's not in the lineup on everyday basis, he can do things. You know he play different positions theoretically if you want to him he can run he can come off the bench and and you know he has stolen the base um so even if he's not playing in the lineup regularly he can help you win games in other ways so i, I think that probably contributed to I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head right there i think the defense and the base running i won't dig into this a little bit more when we kind of talk about the propensity of top 100 guys but i think all three of the guys that you've mentioned can do those things and and provide something that even if they're not hitting or not in the lineup every single day have value down the stretch. And I think that's an important part of why all three of them got called up. Yeah. And I don't even think we noted, unless I missed it, all three of them rank among the top 12 prospects. Yeah. I was just about I mean, to say these, these, these aren't just top 100 guys. These are top of the top elite, elite level prospects. Yeah. And that's, that's been kind of par for the course on the season. We've seen all five of the top five prospects from the preseason list, eight of the top 11, 
looks like about half of the top 25. So, yeah, we've been seeing the the best of the best reach the big leagues this year. Uh, Evan Carter, Jim, a guy that I know you have been high on for, uh, it seems like you were kind of early on, uh, not early enough because I didn't know who he was on draft night, but, but early, early the next year, early the next year I was on him. Yes. But uh, yeah, you know, he was more of a need based one now. Now, the Rangers obviously have gone through a lot of struggles. They've gone from first to third in the American League West. They're fighting for a wild card spot now. And when Adolis Garcia got injured, this was more like we need him to fill that hole. Um, I, I think he's going to, you know, he's more of a platoon setup where he's going to play. He's a left-handed hitter. He's going to play against right-handers. He hasn't had a lot of success against lefties in the minors yet. And so they're going to kind of protect him that way, but he's pretty much going to play every day against righties. And like Jonathan mentioned, and we'll say the same thing in a second about PCA, even when he's not starting, I mean, he's a good base runner. He's a good defender. He has a strong arm so he could come off the bench and do some things for you. You know, even if he's not in the starting lineup, hit his first home run the other day. He's off to a, a three for nine start with a home run. I don't think any of us are shocked that he's drawn two walks and 11 plate appearances because he's, he's got tremendous batting eye. Um, and I think that's one, as opposed to these other two moves, if Garcia doesn't get hurt, I don't think they call Evan Carter up. I mean, they, they love Evan Carter. He'd just been promoted to AAA. I think the plan was let's let him get a month's worth of at-bats in AAA to round out the season. Um, he had missed some time with a with a non-serious back injury early in the year, and, and maybe we'll get him in the fall league. I don't know. Maybe maybe not now. But he went 12 for 34 in AAA, and the plan was just to kind of let him finish out the season there and get some more at-bats, and and that changed. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to read too much into an 11-plate appearance sample size. He, he's stolen the base too. Um, but not surprised that, uh, you know, I think with his approach, it, it's so good. Like I'm not, I think he's going to definitely be able to hold his own a very even kill guy. I don't think the pennant race is going to get to him. It was funny. I was watching his first at bat and I mean, as we've talked about on the podcast, he will not swing at pitches outside the strike zone. He's got a really good eye. He, uh, I probably should, oh, I'll go ahead and say this. I'll get myself in trouble. He'd probably be a better umpire than uh, the umpires. Oh no. I, but no, I was his first at bat. Like there's a pitch six inches off the plate. And I don't know if it's cause he's a new guy strike. And it's like, come on. Like, and then, but then he punched a single to right field his next, it would, I think the next pitch or two pitches later, but you know, he, he's going to be fine. You know, in a pennant race, like I, I think he's going to have continued to have quality at bats. The, the final two pieces of the puzzle, you know, to make him a, a fully developed player will be fully developing his power, which I think will come. And, and then learning to hit lefties, which he, He's hit them better this year, but not for power after struggling against them a year ago. Um, but he's still so young. I mean, he's only, you know, he's only 21 years old. He turned 21 at the end of August. So it's a young 21 and he's only played 250 games in pro ball. So he's, I, I think he's continued to get better. Yeah. All, all three of these guys, just 21 years old. Uh, the third call up we want to talk about a little bittersweet for us because he was supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> He was supposed to be talking to us right now. He was supposed to be our guest on the podcast this week. I think this is, is this the first time we've ever been literally big leagued? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he Well, we'll have to have Thomas Harding go out and talk to him today at Coors Field and, and get him on next week's podcast. But, yeah, we had, we had Pete Crow Armstrong all lined up. We, we tried to get him 
two weeks ago. Is that right? And it was and, a long uh, process. Yeah, and and we, I can't remember why why it didn't happen last week, but we we're like, well, hopefully, you know, hopefully he'll not be called up yet. And then the day before uh, the podcast, we lost him. But hey, and we're gonna give extra kudos to Walker Jenkins here. Because yeah. B. Crow Armstrong got called up yesterday and Walker Jenkins graciously agreeing to be on the podcast less than twenty four hours later. Yeah, in the middle in the middle of transitioning from, you know, wrapping up his his for his debut season to jumping right into instructs and joining us here on the program today. Uh let's let's talk about Pete Crow Armstrong a little bit. Uh this to me is is of the three. Uh, maybe the most exciting one, I I think just because he seems to me to be the kind of guy that you could just see a really exciting electric play at any time at the plate, on the bases, certainly in the field. No, I hundred percent. And it's funny because I've been doing these, these minor league wraparound shows on the marquee network and we've been going back and forth. I've been going back and forth with Lise Meneker, who's, who's the host of that show about whether they should call PCA up in September for the last six weeks. And I've been arguing for exactly that reason, Jason, that he does not need to play every day. As long as he performed well in AAA and he did, he doesn't need to play every day to make a difference. Like, yes, I mean, you're going to hit better if you're in the lineup on a regular basis. And it sounds like he's going to get, some starts against right-handers here and there. And he has hit lefties well in the minors, but David Ross kind of wants to go with the veterans, but you know, he's the best defender in the minors. It's not a coincidence that they're, they're playing in course field, which has the biggest outfield in the majors. It's not a coincidence that his call up was timed for this series in course field. He's a plus runner. I mean, last night they used him as a pinch runner. He got caught stealing third, but he later executed a bunt and, and stayed in the game defensively. But between the, the the speed, the instincts, the defense, it's hard almost to describe him. Like you can't do him justice because he's so good defensively. But he not only has all the tools you want in a center fielder with the speed, but it, it, it's instincts. He he makes great reads. He takes precise routes, and he also has both like the fearlessness to go make plays up against the wall, but also the awareness to protect himself from getting hurt. I mean, he makes. Uh, we could probably go on Twitter, you know, our guys clip highlights. There's probably like what a dozen PCA defensive highlights. Like one of the coolest plays of the year is a slide he did at third base where he should have been out. And he kind of deked the, I don't even how to describe deked the third baseman and who missed the tag slide short to avoid the tag Yeah, with one leg and then stuck the other leg in while the guy was like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's anyway, he's, he is exciting. And, And another thing too, that I think speaks well of him, as if for some reason he struggled. Let's say he got some regular at-bats and he struggled. Uh, he's got that personality where I don't think anything's going to phase him. Um, like, I think he's got personality that, hey, if he has to pinch hit or there's a ball flying into the gap and it's got to be caught, like, he's going to make the play. Like, he's not going to be phased like, hey, we're trying to make the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I'm really excited about his call-up, too. Um, I'll be curious to see how much he plays down the stretch because – Mike Talkman, who was kind of a, a good feel-good story for the Cubs, has started to fade a little bit offensively. Um, and personally, I think PCA probably offers more than Mike Talkman, but I'm not David Ross, so I'm not making out the lineup. We'll we'll see how that goes. But um, I think you know Candelario is a little banged up, so he may it may open up some at bats for PCA. But I, I was good to see it, and it made sense because they called up Alexander Canario, who was on the 40-man roster like 10 days ago, 
and I think he got one at bat. Like like they weren't using him, and PCA could do more stuff off the bench than Canario can. Um, so really excited to see PCA and hopefully get his first start here in the next couple of days. Jim, I was a little surprised when I read your what to expect on Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, when you talked about the fact that you know the Cubs have had all these elite prospects over the past forty years. You went back to Joe Carter and I'm pretty old. Sean Dunstan. <laughs> um, but the thing that surprised me was that you said that he was uh, more well-rounded than any of those guys. Which you know, my my first thought was, is he a more well-rounded player than than a, as a prospect than than Chris Bryant? Uh, but I guess you know he's got that elite defense and and speed quicker yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's where it's coming from but yeah i mean the, the whole li- i mean it was i was thinking about it and i couldn't come up with anyone and the guy who was probably the closest to him who did, was probably one of the guys who had i'll run right off the whole list it was going back to joe carter sean dunston rafael palmero mark grace Corey patterson starlin castro javi baez chris bryant addison russell or soler kyle schwarber and eloy jimenez all who ranked roughly in the top 20 prospects in baseball at one point are you gonna say Corey patterson existed I was going to say yeah. Corey Patterson, but like the difference was Corey Patterson was frustrating to watch and I'm not blaming him. I'm actually blaming the Cubs because, you know, number, th- I think it was honestly his number three pick in the draft, like super athletic, super talented guy. And every year the Cubs would talk about how oh, he's got to, you know, make he's got to learn to bunt more to use his speed. He's got to make adjustments, to cut down his swing and tame his approach. And every year they promoted him because that was when the Cubs weren't very good. And he was kind of like the face of the Cubs future. And he got to the big leagues. And I always, I almost wonder if like things would have been different if they'd been more patient instead of promoting him aggressively to the big leagues while recognizing, Hey, he needs to do A, B, C, and D. But if you don't make him do A, B, C, and D and you keep promoting him, where's the incentive to do A, B, C, and D. But yeah, it, and, and it, the thing that it's really, I think encouraging about PCA is so when they when the Mets drafted him before they traded him for Javi Baez, there was some question. Like we knew he was a good defensive player, maybe not this good. We knew he could run. We knew he could hit. Question was like, how much impact is he really going to have? He doesn't really drive the ball, and he got hurt his first full pro year. Played six games before he got traded, and they made some adjustments last year with the swing. I think he he holds his hands higher, swings on play more. He started driving the ball, hitting it a lot harder, and that was good. But when he got to high A last year, he got promoted midseason. He struck out like five times as much as he walked. And I was wondering, ah, like, are we going to have the same type of thing where, you know, he's he's really aggressive at the plate and our guy's going to exploit that. And he's actually toned down his approach without sacrificing power this year, which I think is a really encouraging sign. So I like all these guys, I don't think he's a fully finished product either. But I think of the three of him, Lawler, and Evan Carter – I think he's probably the most big league ready. Um, and I think he's probably the most ready to handle a regular role next year. If given the opportunity. All right. So Pete Crow Armstrong is the 55th player who was on our preseason top 100 prospects list that has played in the big leagues this year. He's the 37th uh, who has made his big league debut this year. And Jonathan, uh, you've, you've, looked at these numbers quite a bit. You're working on a story to kind of put all of this into context. Uh, contextualize that for us a little bit. It's easier said than done, you know, because some of it is conjecture. But, uh, yeah, the numbers that you just uh, spit out there, 37 is tied for the second most top 100 debuts ever, tied with 2016. 
one behind last year. And then the 55 is the most, the highest number of top 100 prospects to play in Major League Baseball in a given season. And then you mentioned a while ago, just this last little stretch, uh, PCA becomes the 10th uh, top 100 guy to make his debut since August 19th. And um, that's tied for the most since 2020. And I think 2020... It was, you know, it was an aberration. Uh, you had guys at the you know, alt sites, guys coming up and down because of COVID protocols and things like that. So uh, it, that's a little bit of an outlier. The next highest was in 2017 when there were nine during that during that stretch. But, you know, in, in working on the story, I'm, you know, trying to talk to some people who have, you know, been making these decisions to bring guys up. So I talked to Ben Sherrington, the Pirates general manager sort of on one end of the spectrum in terms of a team that's not competing and calling guys up. Although, as he told me, when, when they called Henry Davis up, they were really hoping he would kind of create a spark. They were hanging around still um, standings-wise and thought maybe they'd be able to keep it going, it, you know, if he could get going, and it didn't work out. But um, he, there, were, there were a few thoughts. It's all sort of speculation that, you know, there are a, a, a number of things that could figure into why so many guys lately the one thing he didn't really have anything to say on was whether or not that shutdown year of 2020 had an impact. Personally, I think it does. If you look at the last two years, the high numbers in 2021, there were so few. I, I think there was a, a backlog and then the, the loss of reps slowed things down. And so the last couple of years, there's been a larger uh, pooling of high-end talent at the upper levels that are ready for, for the big leagues. But some of the things that that Sherrington talked about that I thought were interesting is you know, one, he thinks that the industry has gotten better at kind of assessing skills, uh, you know, beyond just numbers. You know, it used to be that, you know, you kind of had to hope uh, you were doing it based solely on what, you know, the surface numbers looked like. Uh, there were certain benchmarks in terms of plate appearances or innings that you'd like to see, but now you can kind of dig deeper and look, you know, sort of underneath the hood further beyond those numbers uh, to see whether or not they're, they're ready, you know, you know, are there holes in their swing that will be exposed at the big league level or not? You know, you can look at so much more video. There's so much more data, uh, pitch shape and, and movement and, and command for pitchers, all these things that if you see them doing it at the, at the higher level of the minors, then, um, you know, maybe uh, you're more comfortable, more confident that they're going to be able to compete at the big league level. And that's given teams more comfortability with calling these these guys up. That was one of the things that he said that really kind of jumped out to me. He also thought that, you know, the players are, are much more comfortable being under the spotlight for longer. The days are long over where the top prospects, especially, are unknown until they get to the big leagues. Uh, they're getting a lot more attention. So, all the things that come with the bright lights of being in the big leagues aren't going to phase them as much. And then one thing that he added on sort of to loop back to what we were talking about, about the three guys who came up recently, he was kind of postulating that the rule changes have given more relative value to defense and base running. And you know, the younger players will have an advantage with those skills. And you look at the three that we just talked about, they all bring some of those skills to to the table. So maybe that the, those game changes are creating a little more incentive to, to get some of those skills onto big league rosters more quickly. Has the overall development window shortened recently, do you think? I mean, I have no 
data on this whatsoever, but just the number of guys we've seen reach the big leagues uh, in the past couple of years. And then looking at, you know, and I, I know that recently we were, we've joked about how like every prospect was at double A, 17 uh, year old Ethan Salas, Skeens and Cruz from this year's draft class, the two top prospects in baseball, 19 year old Jackson Churio and Jackson Holiday. Uh, the latter of which has already moved up to triple A are guys. I mean, are, are guys more ready? I, I would think that the guys are more developed when they reach professional baseball now than they have been in the past. Is that, does that play a role? I think it does. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I think the cur- curve has shortened again. I don't have any data either. This is just sort of feel and, and anecdotally um, you talk about those guys going to double A Nolan shiny while making it to the big leagues first full year. I mean, uh, not first of all, your first summer of pro ball. But I, I think the gap between amateur baseball and minor league baseball is shortened. You know, what was interesting was one of the things that Ben Charrington said uh, is that, and he didn't know if other teams felt the same way, but they have felt that anecdotally there's a larger gap between major league baseball, the, the game played at the major league level and the game played in AAA than there used to be. And then if that's true, and you have a team that's out of the playoffs like the Pirates, then maybe you have an incentive to push those guys up sooner because assuming that, his earlier point, that you can be more precise at measuring their skills and whether those skills will be competitive, you want to get through the transition phase of getting used to that now much higher level of play at the big league level, get through it now so that hopefully next year, if, they, if they're doing it right, those players can get through that and are closer to contributing to a winning team. Now the pirates are on one end of that spectrum, the Orioles who were, you know, I think it was along with the Dodgers brought up the most top 100 players and both the Orioles and the, and the Dodgers are winning. Now the, the Dodgers are almost like on, on a plane in and of themselves. Cause they do <laughs> this every, every, every year, but the Orioles have been working on the rebuild and now they're calling these guys up to win. So it is slightly different from from them, and I haven't spoken to the Orioles yet, but uh, I thought that was sort of an interesting concept that I had not heard from anybody. Jim, I don't know if you have, uh, about any kind of perceived gap between AAA ball and big league ball. Yeah, I mean, you hear guys talk to some extent about how guys are more prepared to enter pro ball than in the past, I think. The competition level at college baseball is better than it's ever been. I think competition makes players better. The technology uh, revolution is not just going on at the professional level. I mean, it's all over college baseball. It's it's all over the amateur level. You have high school pitchers, you know, looking at Rap Soto, and I'm oversimplifying here, but like you know, talking about spinning the ball and fastball shapes and. And they're much more advanced, but at the same time that the focus is on, you know, very particular skills and maybe some of the nuances and subtleties and fundamentals aren't as strong because people are focusing on hitting the ball hard and at the right angle or spinning the ball and maybe you don't throw as many strikes. And so, yeah, I, I have heard some of that and I think it does make sense. I think another factor too, I think the contracting of the minors has, and I think it's going to continue, necessitated moving guys on a little bit faster. You know, I think there's less, Hey, you know, guy repeating a level trying to figure things out because you don't have, you you have fewer teams and you have fewer spots you can allocate to players and you have more guys coming each year internationally or, or or from the draft. So you need guys, I I think it's 
kind of, you know, provide an impetus to move players along quicker. They need to. All right. Well, a guy that I think uh, we could, I, I think I can speak for all of us when we would, I'd say we would not be surprised if we see him move quickly is our uh, guest that we're going to talk to after this break. We're going to talk to Twins top prospect Walker Jenkins. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and our very special guest that we are happy to welcome in, Walker Jenkins, who is the Twins' number one prospect, the number 16 overall prospect in Major League Baseball, uh, top five draft pick from this most recent draft. And uh, Walker, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you all for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, and, and thanks for doing it on short notice. I know you've been very busy, your, you know, debut season, and, uh, you've gone straight from, you made a, a jump up and then you've gone straight from being, uh, wrapping up your debut season straight into instructs now. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Finished up, uh, Sunday and woke up seven 30 on Monday morning and, and got back to work. You, uh, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that uh, needs a lot of or, or enjoys a lot of rest or time off. I was, I was reading uh, about your, uh, your training regimen when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was read about 10 swings with each hand at different heights, totaling 80 swings, then soft toss, a bucket of balls to each side. Uh, 250 live swings BP said you worked out five times a day, two days running weights, <laughs> read that you were meal planning and boiling 20 eggs on Sunday for the, for the week ahead. That's a lot of eggs. Uh, but you, you don't strike me as the guy, kind of guy that, uh, enjoys much downtime. No, I'm, I, I like getting after it and, and I enjoy baseball a lot. And so that's what I want to do. Um, so, you know, I, uh, this, this is, you know, I'm, I'm getting to live out my dream right now. So it, it's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah. Walker, Jim Callis here. How does it compare to last summer? You had the broken ham eight, you were able to participate in some events, but you weren't hundred percent. You couldn't play for team USA after having played for him the year before. So this year, even though I don't, I don't know if it's felt like a grind, but, but you know, nonstop baseball, you know, playing into September, that's got to feel pretty good compared to a year ago. Doesn't it? It it's amazing you know the the right when I got down here you know you start they kind of ramp you up and everything I started playing in the FCL and um, I got introduced to to lifts on game day and I'm like oh boy you know I saw that on the schedule for the first time like we're lifting you know an hour before two hours before I play a game and you you knock it out and you get out to the game you're like man this got some some jelloey legs right now or the, the bat doesn't feel like it's as light as usual um but you know this down here is definitely a grind but i i enjoy it you know that's i feel like i'm getting better each and every day and and when you when you truly 
you know, care for something like I care for, for baseball and, and, and wanting to succeed, I think it doesn't matter what you do. I think mentally last summer was probably the most challenging thing for me. Um, just knowing that like, all right, look, you can come back from this. It's just, it's going to take some time and kind of like y'all were just saying, you know, I'm not a person that likes to, <laughs> to sit on the bench and watch and, uh, not a huge fan of downtime. So just understanding, like, uh, you got to take some time off and, and rest and recover. Um, and it's just been so nice that this year, I've just been able to go hundred, 110% each and every day, every minute I'm out there. So it, it's, it's been, a, it's been a blessing. All that extra lifting doesn't leave enough time for egg boiling. I'm sure, but, oh, um, it, <laughs> it covered me pretty well on that. Yeah. aspect. Uh, you know, Walker, when, when we last spoke, I think it was during PDP league. And you, you know, you were kind of there, but you weren't, you know, you, you, that's when things kind of went, went south for you uh -huh. uh, to your credit in terms of what you had already shown. It didn't hurt your draft stock that much. Was that something that was a concern at all for you? Or was that you were just like, I'm going to come back even better because clearly from all the reports we got during the spring, not only were you a hundred percent healthy, but you had gotten you'd gotten faster, more athletic on the field. You show people you could play center field, Like you were doing things that you hadn't done before the injury. Even. I think like just with the handmate, you know, you got time to, to recover and come back. Um, I got a full off season where I got, I got to get in there and work and, and, and get better. And I think, you know, with doing that, I, I improved on all aspects of my game. And that's what I try to do each and every off season. I'm going to go in there and, and, and do everything I can to get better. Um, you know, I I think some people just kind of from the the history I had knew I was going to come back and and maybe that's why it didn't hurt my my draft stock too bad. But I wasn't overly concerned about it. I've always had uh, confidence in myself and was like, okay, you know, this isn't something overly major. You know, it's it's very inconvenient with the timing. But when I get back, I know I'm going to be better than I was before, and I'm going to get back to work and and, and show people what I can do. Hey, Walker, I, I mentioned your uh, your training regimen in high school, and uh, I had also read that you started hitting every day after you got cut from an all-star team when you were six years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so it sounds like you, you've basically been hitting every single day um, since you were seven years old and talked about your, you know, your, your highly, uh, you know, regimented detailed workout plan. I, I just, and you talked about like lifting on game days, something that was new to you. Well, what other sort of differences have there been for you since you've uh, joined the twin system? Well, I mean, a, a ton, you got to learn to adjust to, to many different routines, you know, in high school, when you're working out with, with my dad, you know, my parents, coaches that are there for me, like, you know, it's kind of all like, all right, what do you want to work on? What do you want to do to get prepared? You know, there's a lot of guys here. There's a lot of ball players. There's a lot of guys that all need to get work in and going out. I can't spend an hour and a half in the cage just by myself. You know, you have to get your swings in and get what you need to get ready for the game and, and then get out of there. And, um, you know, now I've, I've been hitting extra almost, ran a little overtime, had to run up here to get here. Uh, but, you know, just learning how to, to make those adjustments with your routine, um, you know, also just the, the responsibility factor. 
I feel like I've always been a, a pretty responsible kind of mature kid, but you know, you get out of the house and I'm living on my own. I'm, I'm doing even things like my own laundry, just, you know, you don't have mom there to, to help clean up, do a load for you one time when you're not in, not in the mood or something. And then just, you know, making sure you, you get better, you know, it's on you, you know, you don't, you don't have people to hold you accountable. You know, they're like, obviously they're going to, they're going to push you, the coaching staff and the people here want you to succeed, but you know, there's players here that, you know, if you, if you don't want it, you know, that's, that's on you, you know, they're going to do everything and give you everything they can to help, but you're responsible. Um, so that's something that that's definitely been different, but I've loved, you know, I think it, it separates athletes and, and, and uh, is going to, it's what separates people from moving on and not. So it's, it's been really enjoyable, but you know, there's, I'm sure I could think of many, many different things, baseball oriented and not that, that has been an adjustment. What has been the biggest adjustment for you on the field and how, how different has the quality of pitching been? I mean, I guess, I'm going to guess, you know, your first week in pro ball, you probably haven't seen a guy like Paul Skeens in high school. No, no. <laughs> um, I'd say the biggest adjustment, honestly, is just, just knowing that there is going to be failure, learning, knowing that, you know, that's okay, but going and giving it, like I said, 110% each and every time. When I step into the box, I like to look at it from the aspect like, all right, I'm treating every at-bat like this is my last at-bat I'll ever have. That's the type of mindset I want to go in there with. Because if I if I always go in with that mindset, I'll never take one for granted. You're never taking an A-B off, never taking a pitch off. You know, in other places with weaker competition, I feel like you can almost get away with that. You know, like, all right, I'm facing a dude in high school today that's a righty throwing 82 and his off speed hasn't been in the strike zone in four years, you know? So it's like something like that where you're like, All right, I'm just hitting the fastball going up there kind of lethargic and, you know, not necessarily that I was that way, but, and, you know, in pro ball, I've, I've treated every at bat, like it is my last at bat. And, and that's kind of how I feel like I need to go about it because if you, if you, if you slip for a second and then, mentally slip or physically slip you know that's when that's when things start turning around in my opinion and and you, you begin to struggle um thankfully I've, I've had a pretty successful start so far but I've had up and down games up and down little stretches you know comfort is a big thing to me when I'm in the box you'll have games where you're like you know two for five but I didn't I didn't have the swings that I like like something felt off you know like stat wise it looked all right but you know, that's not how I want to feel. Um, so learning how to make those adjustments in game and then in practice and then applying it to the game. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I'd say mentally as just learning to challenge yourself. Um, and then obviously, like you said, physically, the competition is just on a, on a different level. You know, I'm, I haven't seen an arm below like 90 in a month and a half. You know, everyone's got a good secondary pitch. Some guys got three or four pitches that they can mix in really well and just learning how to make those constant constant adjustments, pitch to pitch, bat to bat, game to game. So, Walker, you know the we've talked a lot, you know, on this podcast, and you know the the top of this draft class was insane, and any of the five of you could have gone number one overall. The invariable comparisons, you know, I, and of course I'm going to be the one I have to ask you about Max, you know, Max Clark, who we've had on, and I talked to the two of you together, at PDP League. Very different personality wise, as people have pointed out. I think we've already debunked the myth that the two of you hate each other. Um, but I am curious 
about like you guys kind of you were both in the FCL. You both moved up to a ball, you know, whether or not your your best buddies having dinner every Tuesday doesn't even matter. How much is it good having a guy not only going through the process, but maybe a guy you're keeping tabs on to to help make sure that you have that competitive fire? Because I'm sure there's a part of you that wants to beat him to the big leagues. Well, you know, Max and I are both like I've told you this before, extremely competitive people. I, I've told people this. I don't want Max to do bad. It's like I want every other person in our my the, my draft class, and for that matter, every other draft class, to play to the best of their ability because I think that's only going to push me more and make me a better ball player. You know, you, like you, you, you've heard the saying, like you don't ever want to want to wish badly on someone and, and want them to do bad because just to make yourself look better, and that's that's the way I look at it. I want, like I said, I want – Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Langford, all these guys to, to go and ball out to, to not only push me, um, but to, to, like you said, kind of keep it extremely competitive. I think competition and, and that pressure is what, what molds athletes and, and makes them prepared for the next level. Um, that being said, you know, of course I'm watching these guys, you know, all of these dudes, everybody's posting about them and, and you can see how they're doing, but Right now, you know, I'm focusing on on moving up in the Twins organization. Like, obviously, I want to outperform everybody and 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 be the be the best. Um, but you know, I, I want to get to the big leagues and then then be the best up there. You know, so that I got to beat guys out in, in this organization and and continue to work hard here. And then I'm sure I'll see every single one of them up there at some point as well. So uh, when I get up there and competing against them, just continuing to 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 push myself and, and, you know, not only try to outperform, but as a team win. So. We are talking to twin stop prospect Walker Jenkins here and uh, Walker 100 plate appearances, even uh, in your pro debut uh, going from the rookie level to Fort Myers uh, single a, and then, was there any conversation or or were you hoping to potentially get bumped up another level for the playoffs or or was there was there any consideration that might happen you know i i would have loved to i at this point i don't think that's going to happen but i just going and competing especially in an atmosphere like that where it's just playoff baseball i think would have would have been a ton of fun um you know i'm i would assume there was talks i'm i'm not in on the discussion unfortunately but uh, I, w- I would think they would have had to have thought about it, but um, I think being here at Instructs is just going to be more beneficial from the educational standpoint of, you know, working on base running, working on defensive stuff where, you know, I think if I get moved up, I'm going to get more reps to the plate and, and get some of that in-game action. But there's, I think there's pros and cons to each side. Um, but I would definitely assume that there was some discussion about it and, and what would be best for me. Uh, either way, um, I think it would have been awesome to move up. Um, now that I'm here and instructs, I'm going to do everything I can to learn and, and get better. But, you know, it's not, that's out of my control. Walker, I, I know Jason and Jonathan know this question's coming because I think I ask it of every player we have on the podcast. I always like to ask guys to kind of scout themselves. How would mm-hmm. you break down your game? What do you think your strengths are? And what do you think you need to improve the most? I would say, you know, we always had a saying, you know, you, I'm sure you all have heard it. You got to hit your way off the island. I live down by the beach. Um, 
that's what our parents always said. Me and the other kids, I had several other D1 commits. We always said we got to hit our way off the island. I think hitting is definitely my strength and 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 what carries, you know, people from from level to level. And I think, you know, power is a strength and hitability is definitely a strength. Um, I think my defensive game gets a little overlooked because of that. But I think I play a, a very solid defensive position no matter where that's at. Um, I think my speed is honestly a little overlooked. I think some people just assume because I'm a bigger guy that I'm not going to be that fast. But, you know, some of the times against some guys down here in this organization since I've been here, I think I've I've surprised some people in this organization with with how I move and and what I'm doing. But, you know, I, I want to continue to work on on every single thing. I always think I can improve on everything, you know, like I've, I've, I think I've told Jonathan this, I want to stick in center. So if people think I need to improve on speed, then that's what I want to improve on. You know, I'll, I, I'm just a person. I want to be as well-rounded of a player as I can be. Um, anything specific, I think hitting wise, I would want to, I would want to work on just seeing more off speed, you know, cause you're, you're going through the circuit, going through different things. You're so used to seeing guys with higher velo fastballs, that's what they locate well. Um, just working on that that mental approach of, you know, hey, guys are going to attack you 2 0 with a, with a banger slider, you know, and, and learning how to make those adjustments and um, some of that thing. So just going into the offseason, uh, making sure I hone in the mental approach and, and continue to work at, at all five tools. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, that's, that's kind of my thought process. I'm, on it. I'm rewriting your report for the twins list right now, based on what you just said. So we're going to pop <laughs> all your grades up. Um, uh, Walker, I'm assuming by now, you know, you know, you know, this story. Well, it's been pretty well reported, but you know, Jim and I had the, the honor of talking with Mike Radcliffe, the legendary twin scout mm-hmm. for, for many, many years. And he is sorely missed by us and by everybody in, in the baseball industry. Sure. Uh, it came, you know, it sort of came out, after the fact that one of the, you know, the last things he did in a scouting way when he wasn't supposed to be going to see players was he saw you and he hung an 80 on you. And that definitely had an impact based on his knowledge of the game and how rare it is for anybody, especially a kind of an old grizzled scout like Mike to hang an 80. When you heard that, even if you, you know, never got the chance to meet the man and I'm sure people in the organization told you about him what did it mean to you to to get that kind of feedback from someone like that and then you know knowing that the organization kind of was acting based on that evaluation to at least to an extent it's it's extremely just you know humbling in a way like to have someone that represents the twins and has such a big say to, to say something like that about me is just, you're kind of like, wow, you know, it, it gives me confidence knowing that someone like that had that kind of confidence in me. And, and honestly, just, just makes me more excited to be with this organization for that reason. Like if, if they, you know, the other teams Pat that passed on me didn't think that way. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, he's, he's not as good, but you know, the twins had that kind of confidence in me and, and one of their most, you know, highly known scouts had that to say, you know, it means a lot. Um, hearing that story, I hate it. I never got to shake his hand and, and, and meet him, but 
Um, you know, I've heard that a lot, like you were saying, and, and I mean, how can you not appreciate it? You know, that's something that I've worked my, my whole life for up to this point. And, you know, having someone say that about you is just, you know, there's I mean, not a better feeling. And like I said, it's just extremely humbling from the aspect of like, you know, this guy who's seen a lot of really good ball players who has been around the game for a long time had that to say about me. You know, that is, that's truly amazing. So. Well, Walker, you have certainly made Mike and the twins look very good so far with your 392, 446, 608, 1.054 slash line in your pro debut. Uh, we are looking forward to seeing more from you in the future. And we thank you very much for joining us here today. Of course. Thank you all. That's Walker Jenkins, Minnesota Twins, top prospect, Major League Baseball's number 16 overall prospect joining us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the newest addition to the top 100 prospects list and answer a question from the mailbag that's coming up next. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Alex Mayo, and thanks very much to Walker Jenkins, an outstanding baseball player, an outstanding interview. Um, all right, guys, let's uh, talk about the one new addition to the top 100 prospects list. Maybe our last one of the year, uh, depending on how things go in terms of guys getting called up uh, and graduating off the list over the last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, but our most recent addition is Yankees pitching prospect Drew Thorpe, who we added to the list. I don't even know if he... I think maybe he pitched once since then. And then uh, we're recording here on a Tuesday. And just today he was uh, put on the disabled list. Uh, have not at this point seen why. So it's uh, a little uh, little muddy right now in terms of uh, understanding what's going on. But uh, we can say without any doubt that he has had one of the best seasons of any pitcher in the minor leagues. Yeah, perhaps the best. I mean, right now between high A and double A, uh, and he's probably not going to pitch again this year. He's 14 and two with a two, five, two ERA, 182 strikeouts, just 38 walks and 139 innings, 200 opponent average, even better numbers. After he got promoted, he went four and zero and five starts in double A. And, you know, I think maybe right before I went on vacation, I forget the context, we were talking maybe about Yankees pitchers for some reason. And I was talking about how – we're probably talking about Chase Hampton is probably what we were talking about. And we were, I was talking about the fact that the Yankees just have this knack for taking non-first-round pitchers who don't necessarily get a lot of hype. And then you look up, and they're pretty good pretty quickly. Like I remember a few years ago, they were talking about Ken Waldachuk and Hayden Wisniewski right out of the draft uh, coming out of the pandemic. And both those guys wound up being used in, in prominent trades. Um, you know, last year it was Will Warren, who at one point, you know, almost immediately ranked as their best pitching prospect in their system. And then coming out of last year's draft, the two guys they were talking about the most were Drew Thorpe and Chase Hampton, neither of whom began the season on the top 100 prospects list, and both are on there now. And Chase Hampton also had an excellent season. And, you know, Thorpe, Jonathan, I mean, I know he was your draft guy. I mean, the thing that stood out about him in, in college at, at Cal Poly was his changeup and his command. Um, he's not an overpowering guy, but he's thrown a little bit harder. He's more consistently in the low 90s, more regularly hitting the mid-90s. 
Um, and it's not a, a particularly lively fastball, but he does command it very well. And the extra velocity has, has really helped him this year. And it's the same thing. His low 80s slider has added some depth. It's become sharper. And I think, you know, if you're just grading out velocity, this wouldn't necessarily be true. But if you're grading out effectiveness of the fastball, this would be true. He's got two solid pitches to go with a well above average changeup and, and plus control. And it's been very effective and, you know, small sample size of five starts in double A, but it's played very well at the end of the season before he got shut down. Yeah, he played with Brooks Lee at, uh, at Cal Poly. It was our Friday night starter two years in a row. And I think a lot of the advancements that you've seen this year kind of just carried over from his junior year. He started throwing a little bit harder. The slider was a little bit firmer. He was throwing more strikes and he just continued that right into, you know, into this, uh, you know, first year of, of pro ball that's allowed him to kind of jump on, on the, on that faster track and, and get to double a before, you know, before he got shut down. Uh, but there was always an intriguing combination of size, a little projection, uh, and that feel for pitching. And all of that has just gotten, you know, uh, a little bit better in, in this year. And it's very promising for, you know, what could happen uh, for a guy who doesn't turn 23 uh, until October 1st. So he is way ahead of the curve. And uh, another, as you pointed out, another really intriguing, previously under the radar pitching prospect for the Yankees. Yeah, I was uh, I was salivating at the possibility of having a Ricky Tiedemann, Drew Thorpe matchup uh, as one of this week's uh, MILB free games of the day with Somerset visiting New Hampshire. And they, it looked like they were both lined up to pitch against each other uh, on Friday. And we're still going to get a nice a nice matchup with Tiedemann against uh, Spencer Jones and the Somerset Patriots there, but that would have been a nice one. And I would guess two of the two of the best changeups in in the minor hmm. leagues. Um, all right, speaking of the best in the minor leagues, uh, mentioned when we we're getting underway, and want to talk in a little bit more detail uh, about something very exciting: the first ever minor league baseball award show on MLB network. That's going to air on October 2nd. So it'll be on that off day, uh, before the postseason starts Monday, October 2nd, 8 PM Eastern on MLB network. Uh, we'll be announcing the hitting prospect of the year, the pitching prospect of the year, the, uh, prospect team of the year, uh, all things that we've, we've done in the past. We've, we've, uh, named those award winners and teams, but we're, we're going to do a whole show around it. Uh, breakout prospect of the year, minor league debut of the year, uh, as well as, uh, some off the field categories, best, uh, alternate identity, best alternate, uh, uniform, um, uh, gonna, I, I would imagine you'll, you'll see a bat dog or two, uh, involved in the show. Um, if we're lucky. Yep. Yep. Uh, maybe, maybe even one in person. Uh, we shall see. But again, that's coming up on October 2nd. All right. Uh, let's wrap up with a question from the mailbag. This one does not come from Stevie D. Uh, Stevie D slacking this week. Uh, we'll have to 
reprimand him. He he sent a good question <laughs> just to give Steve. Of course he did. Like, I, he I, needs I, a rest. I, I try to. I, I like Stevie D. Like asks good questions on such a consistent. He's like the Cal Ripken of asking Cal Ripken Jr. of asking questions. But uh, I will admit that sometimes if somebody else has a good question, I try to let somebody else have the spotlight. And not that Stevie D's trying to hog it, but we could probably could have a Stevie D question on every podcast and every box. If could we have a whole to. separate podcast. Well, we almost do as it I'm is. also glad that you specified you meant Cal Ripken Jr. there because people would have been confused. People, people would have been no. confused, exactly. Well, th- this question is from Patrick Wilson. He, he's not, is he the Billy Ripken? <laughs> he, no, he's PW underscore Go Cubs Go on, on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Patrick asks, which rookies, assuming they get the call, do you see having the greatest impact on the field next year? And I'm going to let Jonathan answer this question so, first. So it's similar to a question answered by Stevie D in last week. I have a clarifying question. Are we only picking guys who have not been up or are we including guys who like are coming up, but will qualify for, you know, to, you know, as a rookie for next year? I think you can you can have anybody. Okay, because, I mean I get uh, like they they have to get even if they're up now they still have to get the call next year to have an impact on the field. So you can right anybody you well, want. But who are your rookie of the year candidates for next year? Well, that's say I, I was kind of originally thinking of it as guys who have yet to be in the big leagues. Um, you know, well, obviously some of these guys that we just talked about. I mean, this guy's a Cubs fan, so he probably wants us to talk about Pete Crow Armstrong winning rookie of the year next year. And sure, that could happen. Um, you know, just like Evan Carter with the Rangers, you know, if given the chance could, I think I'm going to pick one in each league. I'm going to pick Brooks Lee in the American league. And I think that if uh, the twins big league roster was a little bit different, uh, he might've even gotten a chance to, to come up. The only thing they'll get in his way is where he, where, you know, where he fits in into that roster. Um, but I think he'll join Royce Lewis and, uh, be a, a nice addition. He's just about ready. And then looking at the National League, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a homer. I'm gonna, Paul Skeens is gonna be up by you May, and he's gonna pitch so well that he is going to uh, compete seriously for the National League Rookie of the Year. Well, you're saying he's gonna win it. That's not what I'm saying. You're saying that he, is not what I'm saying. He asked you who he said who was gonna ask, have the most impact, and I said so. Who are your Rookie of the Year guys? I'm answering his question, not yours. Well, if he has the most impact, why wouldn't he be Rookie of the Year? Well, I think it depends on your definition of impact. Answer the question, Jim. Okay, anyway. I, I answered this question last week in, in the Pipeline Inbox when Stevie D asked it, and I had Brooks Lee as my favorite in the American League. Um, so I agree with you there, Jonathan. Uh, I followed by also mentioning Evan Carter and then Colt Keith of the Tigers. And then in the Good National one. League, I went – Jordan Lawler, because I think he's going to have more opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then I had PCA second, and I had Paul Skeens third. So there you go. And 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 some honorable mentions, guys who were crowded out, Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad in Baltimore, but I don't know who's getting at-bats where I'm going to have to trade somebody. And um, I threw Kyle Harrison in as a, as a guy I like uh-huh. in the, in the National on. League. But I do think – I'm with you. I think Skeens is up very quickly – and will be very, very good. I, I think he's going to be on that Steven Strasburg path. Hopefully not Tommy John surgery early in his career. So <clears throat> those answers are pretty interesting uh, because 
eight of the top nine prospects on the top 100 list have ETAs of 2024. Uh, and let's see, 10 out of the top 12. And uh, one of those who doesn't have a 2024 ETA is Jordan Lawler, who has 2023 ETA. So you guys are, are estimating that we are going to see a bulk of the top 12 overall prospects in baseball next year. But I'm guessing by the fact that you only named what schemes, I think only Carter Ske- and Lawler. Carter. Yeah. Yeah. And Lawler from the top 10. I mean, yeah. And the, the, the PCA the, goes down to top 12. Yeah. The, the rest of these guys you're not expecting to see and on opening day or not until later in the a season. A lot of them are in double A right now. Yeah. A lot of them are in double A and pretty young. And even though Jackson holiday finished the season in triple A, he's only 19 right now. And, and again, I don't, like that's an opportunity, you know, you've Gunnar Henderson, you, you, you've, you know, Westberg's up, you know, you have other veterans already in the infield. I, I think, I think a lot of those guys are going to spend the first couple months of next year in AAA. And I think we'll probably be dedicating several podcasts in the second half of the season to all these fabulous prospects who are getting called to the big leagues in June, July, and August. All right. Thank you for that question, Patrick Wilson. And thanks very much to Walker Jenkins for joining us. And we also want to say thank you to Alexander Overington, uh, who has been producing this podcast for the past, how long, guys? Wow. While. That's actually Two years? And uh, wow. he, he's going to be uh, he's going to be handing over the keys and uh, moving on to work on another podcast here. But we want to thank him very much. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for... Uh, this week's episode of the Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.